Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Been here. We're now in week five of this churchology series, and last week we got some really good traction talking about why we gather as a church. I talked about the fact last week that we all come into this room for all these different reasons, and there's good, valid biblical reasons for why we come into a room together. And last week I started talking about the fact that we file in, we get our cup of coffee, we say hi, we check the kids in, and we come in for preaching that equips preaching that will mature my faith, preaching that will unify us around things that would outlast our lifetimes, right? We talked about things like using our gifts to serve each other. We talked about things like um, accountability and protection that being a part of this family allows. And, And then at the end of the message, we really zeroed in on prayer and worship, right? Like a dog kissing a master's hand. If you weren't here last week, you gotta go back and hear the message. But this is what we talked about. We come into a room and we gather and there are really valid reasons why we gather together. But that's about an hour a week, right? I mean, we sit in here and and I hope that we give you things that are valuable on all those levels and more, but we sit in here for a purpose. But then we've got a whole lot more hours out there. Did Jesus just climb on a cross, pay for the sins of the world, come to earth, teach you how to live, teach me how to live, give us the words to live by so that we can just have one hour of our week look different? No, no. No, when we're talking churchology, we're also talking about not just why we gather, but how and why we as a church scatter, because there is so much more to church than just what happens in this room. Anybody who's spent any time in scripture recognizes that the church has a mission. And the mission of Jesus Christ isn't very confusing. It isn't very complex. It's pretty simple when you look at it in the scriptures. In fact, really quick, rapid fire, three verses that if you've been around church for any amount of time, you probably know these verses. Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Go, keep that seat warm for about an hour on a Sunday morning, but then you take what you've got and you go and do what? Change lives, bring up there down here, let the story just permeate into a culture that desperately needs it. Mark, another writer, captures it in chapter 16 of his biography. He says to them, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is he talking about living people, plants, animals? I don't know. I think he's just like, this needs to get everywhere. Anything that has ears, anything that has life, needs that life transformed by Jesus. Go and tell this good news. Preach the gospel. That's what that means. Good news of who I am. Occupy that seat on Sunday morning. Sit in that life group together. Serve in the children's ministry. Serve on whatever team. But then get out there and go and bring this news to everywhere you find a set of ears that's willing to listen. We get into Acts chapter one, his final marching orders. Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Go, occupy a seat for an hour, sing these songs of worship. Yes, I am the king. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon what rock? You are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, it's true. Worship me, pray, but then go. This is the mission of the church. The mission of Jesus is not complex, is it? It's pretty straightforward. It's not confusing at all. 
If you had to boil it down into one statement, the mission of the church of Jesus is this, bring the entire world to Christian faith and maturity. Just bring anybody and everybody you can to faith and maturity in Jesus. It's not complex, but it's challenging, right? And you start with the one closest to you. Here at Mosaic, what's our answer to that or what's our expression of that? It's on the wall. We exist to help people experience Jesus-centered lives. We want to get this gospel, this good news of who he is to the ears of any man, woman, child of any language, of any story, of any background, no matter what's been told about them, no matter what they've experienced, no matter what lies they believe, no matter what failures they've had, no matter what pride fills their heart, we want them to know the best, greatest news ever. And it's the marching orders that Jesus gave us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, I'll tell you, every single person who's a believer in the North American church sees the church as really, you can reduce it down into one of two things. And I've talked about this quite a while ago, but for those who haven't seen this and as a refresher for us, every single person who's a believer will see the church as a force or they will see the church as a field, a force or a field. Now, for a group of people who sees the church, Mosaic, or the church at large as a field, well, then we're going to do everything we can to protect our field. We're going to fence it in. We're going to protect it. We're going to make sure everybody's in their right rows. We're going to make sure we're caring for and fertilizing and taking care of men. All the energy, all the work goes to making sure this field is taken care of. Oops, somebody came in. Okay, then come on into the field. But this is where all the energy and the time and the resources go. We are a field. And we want to make sure everything's tidy and clean. We want to make sure everything's organized and structured. We want to make sure that every single person is cared for first. Because the field is what matters most, right? But then there's this other side, a force. And it looks greatly different. If we're a force, we're not about what's happening inside here. We're about getting out there. We're about recognizing that the mission of Jesus is to go and take what we've experienced in our faith community together and bring it to anywhere we can find a set of ears that is willing to listen. Here, it's like our resources. We try to invest here to equip. You think of Ephesians chapter four. Some of you know the chapter well. Ephesians chapter four says this, that he gave some pastors and apostles and preachers and teachers and evangelists and all that kind of stuff. He gave leadership to the church. Why? To equip the people who warm a chair on Sunday morning for an hour. To equip the people who serve in different capacities, who say, I want to invest my resources, who say, I want to find life and community. I'm finding hope and answers here. Our job, our role, there's a handful of us that have to focus on it, but there's a handful of us that will do all we can to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And again, what is the work of the ministry? Go and make disciples. Go and get the good news of the gospel to every creature. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the whole rest of the earth. That's the equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm telling you, every single follower of Jesus, think about your own perspective. Think about the things that you think about when it comes to what a faith community looks like, what you hope your experience is, even here at Mosaic. Every single one of us will fit into some version of one of these categories. We think it's all about us and everything's supposed to be budgeted, programmed, staffed around us, or we say it was never about us. It's always been about him, 
and connecting as many people as possible to him. So I will say no to me. I will say no to us. I will give generously, radical generosity, one of our core values. I will say no to scheduled things so that I can serve both the community of believers that exist and the community of believers to come. Because we want to be not a field, we want to be a force. A church that is a force, not a field, but a force, is filled with Christians who are a force. A church that is a force is filled with people who are all in, Jesus-centered, gates of hell crashing followers of Jesus. It says that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the kind of church that Jesus was establishing. We, we started that with week one of this series, right? That's a force. The gates of hell are a posture of defense. You put gates up to keep people out, right? The enemy, Satan, the gates of hell, they want to try, just taking territory all over the world right now. And Jesus says that a force, the advancement of the church gives us an opportunity to bust through the gates of hell with an all-in, broken for the world around us, whatever the cost may be, Jesus-centered type of a faith. That's a force. It's not a place that is measured by, let me go through my list of, did I read my Bible this week? Did I give this week? Did I warm a seat this week? Those are all important things in our life. It's measured by, am I bringing up there, down here, in any real way? The words of my mouth the meditations of my heart, the, the, the things, the motives of my spirit, are they about bringing people to experience a Jesus-centered life? Are they about bringing his story into the world around me? That's what we measure. That's what a force measures. A church that is a force does not measure itself as a place where we just measure our seating capacity. We measure ourselves by our sending capacity, by how many people are we equipping deeper, and I love like the women's Bible studies that are starting, life group environments, the regular pattern of meeting together for preaching that equips, trying to put more and more information and seeds that will lead to transformation in your life that you would share with others as a force. We don't measure how impactful we are by the number of people we get into this room. We measure how impactful we are by the number of people from this room that go out and change the world around us. The church has a mission Churchology 101, I started this so that the gates of hell have no chance. And when the church is advancing, it can't defend against the work of God. Those are the words of Jesus, and that's what he calls us to. The next week, we're going to talk a little bit about six characteristics. I'm excited about this. I hope this whets your appetite. Six characteristics of a church that lives that kind of faith, that lives that kind of force together. And when you come, bring a notepad, be ready, because we're not just talking about a church building, like a structure, an address on Bellevue here. We're talking about people of faith. These are the characteristics of a church that is living as a force impactful in its region, which means the only way that is possible is if it's filled with Christians who are a force. What does a Christian, what does a follower of Jesus look like that's living a force in their faith. We're going to talk about six things next week. I'm super excited about it, but I'll, I'll give you a couple things here. And, and one is this. I'll just tell you, a church on mission is a force. There's a, there's a line in the sand on this. A church on mission is a force. The flip side of this, the dangerous side, is the church that is not on mission fails. It's just basic 101. Basic 101 stuff here, church, uh, churchology, right? 
If Jesus gives us a marching order and an imperative, not a suggestion, not a, you know what I'd like you guys to do? A thought I had, a random thought. It's pretty obvious from Matthew, from Mark and Acts that we have a clear mandate. And if we do not come through on that clear mandate, we fail. A church that is on mission is a force Guaranteed win. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because you guys are awesome? No, because it was based on me, says Jesus. I'm the Christ. I'm the eternal one. I'm the son of the living God. I'm the one that's going to die, but I'm the one that's going to raise again. I'm going to prove I'm God. You base yourself. You're a force on mission spreading that. You will not fail. But a church that is not on mission fails. Tension point. Tension point for my heart and for, I hope, many of us as we kind of reflect on this. A lot of us feel like we're on mission because we show up to church on Sunday. A lot of us feel like we're on mission because we put in some extra time. These are important things. You should be here on Sunday. You should give generously. You should serve in different capacities. A lot of us might think there's amazing things that are happening at Mosaic right now. And yet, if Jesus were to take an inventory on us, he maybe even ask us a survey Where are you going into the world? Where are you reaching the world around us? Where are you doing the very clear mission that I gave you? I think a lot of us are living more with bald tires expressions of the faith. We're not a force. We're a field. So next week, we're going to talk about more of the characteristics. But I can again tell you, a church on mission is a force. A church not on mission fails. We talked about this last fall, but one of our core values here at Mosaic really leans into this. You see the banner on the wall, but you may remember this language. I hope you'll latch on to it. We share what we've found. We share what we found. I'm going to ask him to throw that up on the screen for us up here. We share what we found. And here's what we mean by that. Life, joy, purpose, hope. Come on. If you're a follower of Jesus, we found it in him. You have found it. And now you're supposed to give it away. We want to share it. We want to run to our friends, removing every barrier we can. Why? It's just like what Jesus did for us. And now he invites us to do that for others. We share what we found. Why? Because we're a force. We're not about just being a field. If we're interested in simply rowing things up, fencing things off, and being just a field together, then that is not an accurate core value of what we're supposed to be as a church. And that is not an accurate mission statement of what we're supposed to be as a church. Again, it's 101, and some of us may remember this, but I'll tell you this week, as I've been preparing for this, I've been challenged by this personally, recognizing on a scale of one to 10, where would the grade be on my own life, God, of where I am living as a force, I'm living on mission for you. What's interesting, in Matthew 22, we have what's called the great commandment. Some of you who know the scriptures know that. Guy comes up, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment. And then the next part is this. Stay in church and worship me regularly. Separate yourself from the world. No, it's not what it says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, immediately, as soon as you get who I am, says God, as soon as you center yourself on my life, the next thing I want you to do is spread what you found. You love me, you see my love for you, go love your neighbor the same way. The next commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then build fences. Build fences around what you've received. No, it's the exact opposite, isn't isn't it? It's like remove all the fences, Set up a table on a stage and tell everybody that you can that they're welcome to his table. Welcome home. 
That's what we do. Go and love our neighbor as ourselves. By the way, there is a field mentioned in there. You might say, wait a second now. I remember Jesus talking about this field thing. So don't tell me there's not a field. You're right, there is a field. But you know what Jesus had to say about it? It's in John chapter four. Don't you have a saying? He says to the people who are listening to the crowd, still four months unto harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look out at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. There is a field, but it ain't us. The whole context of that chapter is Jesus just with an ache and agony for the people in the world. It says later in the chapter that he looks with compassion. Matthew takes that story as well. He's like, he looks with compassion on multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. Man, they're just wandering. They're lost. And I've called you. Go. Get on mission, church. Go and share the good news to every set of ears because they're lost and they need you. Where are they? They're right next door. They may be down the hall from you in your apartment complex. They may be sitting in a desk next to you when you're in class at school. They may be in a cubicle or an office next to you down the hall. Go. The harvest is ready. The field is ready to be picked. And it's not over here. It's out here. And Jesus makes it again so clear through so many points of his teaching that we are not to be a field. We're to be a force that goes and reaches the field. Look through the stories of Jesus. Search his biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels we call them. Read the stories. Follow his steps. Listen to his teaching. And you will see over and over a pattern emerges. As soon as men and women and families, people gather together. As soon as a cluster of Jesus followers comes together and forms into an ecclesia, a church, or an oikos, a spiritual family together, the very next thing Jesus does is he scatters them. We come together to gather. There is such an important purpose. Please don't hear me say that next Sunday, don't show up, just go do whatever. There's a purpose to this. Preaching that helps and equips. Worship collectively, corporately. Prayer, serving each other, protection, all these things. It's important to gather as a family. But immediately when we see Jesus gather, he immediately scatters them. And they go out and they spread the good news. He's always putting them out on mission. As they spread this good news of the gospel, it often gets expressed in two ways. Show and tell. Just think of that as a kid's story. Show and tell. Come into the, and bring your next, your pet, your dog, your pet rock, whatever it was, right? It's show and tell day class. I don't even know if kids do this anymore. You are being robbed if you don't get to experience that. We grew up with show and tell in school, right? Show and tell. And it's just what Jesus did. Jesus would show the good news by the way he loved, the way he demonstrated and welcomed all to his table. And then he would tell the good news by proclaiming the gospel. The disciples, the followers of Jesus did the same thing. I'm reading through Luke a lot right now because as soon as we end the churchology series in just a few weeks, we're gonna get into Mark, I'm sorry, March. When we get into March, we're gonna get into a lengthy series of the book of Luke. Fasten thy seatbelts, friends. This is gonna be a wonderful journey. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be really challenging too. I'm just gonna tell you. Because some of us are like, whoa, that's gonna be fun. Yeah. Then you haven't read Luke much, have you? <laughs> Because it's going to be really challenging when we get a chance to pull up a seat and watch Jesus and listen to Jesus and learn deeper what he's really calling us to. It's not always what you think it is. Some of you think you got it figured out on one side and you're actually a little bald on the tire side on this thing. Enough on that. Luke, I've been reading through Luke. <clears throat> Jesus is always, as soon as they gather, he scatters them. Look at Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. By the way, this won't be on the screen. I added this yesterday, so Christina right now is freaking out. 
She's looking. She's back there right now. Now she's laughing. She's back there looking for this verse. Luke 9, 1 through 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gathered them, gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You come in, gather, you're mine, you're part of the tribe upon this rock, this truth of who I am. We're going to build this church. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to unify you. And I'm going to send you out. Go out and preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Meet the needs of those around us. Very next chapter, Luke chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's in front of you. I like that. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Next group. This is when the, the, the 12 are in chapter nine, the 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 10, there's 72 of them now. And he sends out the 72 into all different cities, two by two, if you know the story. And when you go in there and are welcome, eat the meal, share life with them, but then immediately tell them that the kingdom of God is near you. This good news of the gospel, any set of ears you can find, the good news of the gospel is for you. Go and be a force. Don't stay in Jerusalem and fence yourself around and put everything in nice, neat little rows because eternity's coming and the kingdom of God is right in front of you. You can know the good news of Jesus. Now, I just got like about three minutes and 36 seconds left, according to the clock. And in that, I just want to share a couple quick things that I hope will be very helpful. Because some of you might say, oh, I'm challenged on this. I know this. There was a couple times in my life when I've given it a shot and I just crashed and burned. I've wanted to kind of go and share my faith with my friends or I've wanted to ignite a spiritual conversation with a neighbor and it just didn't go well. And so it's been a while. And some of you may feel that right now. You may be feeling, and none of this is meant to be condemnation. Come on, church, this is meant to empower us. You have got the greatest news ever. Why do we sit on it? The world doesn't need new policies. The world doesn't need new elected officials. The world doesn't need new economic structures. The world needs Jesus. The world needs the gospel. And no elected official, no economic advisor, no teacher professor is going to be able to answer that. It's you and me. It says Jesus sends that first wave and now we're 2,000 years worth of waves later. It's our turn. I don't mean that to be condemning. I mean that to say, you got marching orders and man, that should give you life and purpose. You should sit up. You should brush your teeth, comb your hair and think, I got to get going. There's work to be done. There's work to be done in the world around us. And it's challenging. And you may say, I've really struggled with it. I've never been able to do this. You're not alone. You're not alone. Let me give you a couple of statistics that are both sobering and also telling you, you better get out of your seat and help change the story with us. Here's what it is. 2016, it's the most recent stat. So we're six years almost out. Lifeway Publishing did a survey of over 2,000 unchurched people. Pretty significant sampling. 2,000 unchurched people that do not occupy and take an hour of their week and be a part of worship. Here's what they had to say. Only 29% of them said a Christian friend has ever told them how a person becomes a Christian. Some of them might have been Christians or just unchurched, but they're like less than one out of three have had anybody around them. And yet we're a Christian nation, right? We're a Christian nation with this kind of thinking. We're a Christian nation with this kind of a belief and behavior. That's, that's, the, that's the issue. Churchology, man, this is Christianity 101, not just churchology 101. It's got to look different. Only less than one, only 29% say a Christian friend has ever told them how to become a Christian. Second line, only one in three unchurched says a Christian has ever even invited them to church. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because we're all going to feel this. You know people around you who don't go to church? You know people around you that you're pretty convinced they probably don't believe in the Jesus that we preach here? Every single one of us do. And some of, them, some of us have lived next door to them month after month, year after year. Some of us have been down the hall working next to them, meeting in conference rooms with them, listening to professors, going to basketball practice with them, going to soccer practice with them, meeting them at different groups and clubs or bowling leagues or softball leagues or whatever you're part of, month after month, year after year. And they've never heard an invite from us. And yet we rally in here for an hour every week together. It's got to be more than that. We're not a field. We're a force. One last statistic, and this is the encouraging one. Those are sobering. This is the encouraging one. This is a direct quote from the survey they did, over 2,000 non-church people. The question, if a friend of mine really valued their faith, I wouldn't mind them talking with me about it. The percentage that said, I'm for that, 79%. Eight out of every 10 people. And you may say, well, that's not been my experience. Okay, there's two out of 10. <laughs> I've had that too. But eight out of 10 people are like, I'm not like scared to death to have those water cooler conversations with people about their faith. If they really believe it, like if they really believe that the world's on fire, but they actually may have some hope or an answer and they're living it in a way and they're my friend and they love me, I, I'm not opposed to them actually talking to me about this. That's encouraging, isn't it? I just feel like the spirit just, again, this is five, six years ago, this survey, but the spirit has just prepared people's hearts so we can walk through that. So real rapid fire. This is gonna sound like I'm giving you an entire sermon. This is gonna take three minutes, okay? And then I'm done. I'm gonna give you six things that have been helpful to me. I hope you'll write them down. Just six things, because it isn't easy for me either. And I hope you'll find encouragement in this and grace in this. Number one, pray about it. If you want to reach your neighbors, if you want to be more living like a force, if you want to be an expression of the good news of Jesus, pray about it. Oh, do we need that? You're not asking them who their favorite sports team is or what kind of fertilizer they're putting on their grass next door to make it green. You're asking them about eternity. You're talking to them about forever, stuff that's deep to the core and purpose and soul of who we are. Pray about it, okay? Don't walk in this alone. Maybe in the past you've done that. In the past, I've done that. Walk in their full spirit. I love what um, Paul says in Ephesians 6. Pray also for me. Listen to what Paul. I mean, Paul's like the who's who, right? The Mount Rushmore of the guys of the scriptures. He ain't gonna need this. Pray for you, Paul. You're supposed to pray for us. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words will be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Says it again in verse 20. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know what I take from that? Paul needs to ask for help. Please pray for me. I'm gonna have a conversation with my neighbor. Would you pray that I'll be fearless and bold in sharing this faith that I've written a whole lot of letters to a whole lot of churches about, but it's still challenging? Woo! Man, I'm not kidding. I took so much encouragement. I'm like, Paul struggled with it? I'm okay. Because I struggle with this, guys. I'm just being real honest. And I was afraid to tell you that. Man, I'm a preacher, dude. I got an office over here and I get to do this every week. This is easy. This is, no, it's, t- it's tremendously hard having these conversations. I didn't want to share that until I was like, Paul struggled with it? Guys, I struggle with it too. <laughs> so maybe you do as well. If you don't, come on up next week and tell us how to do it. Because man, you are in a rare breed. Just take encouragement. Paul asked for prayer. And I'm telling you, please, I'm in I'm in some, 
I'm in some really great conversations with different neighbors on our street right now. Leslie and I have carved out just intentionality at this time in our life just to say, hey, we're actually going to pivot. This, you're not going to like this, some of you. We're pivoting a little bit of our own focus from the field more and focusing on the force and trying to reach the people around us in a fresh way. Hey, we love you. We're with you. We're going nothing. You're not even going to know this hardly. But there's spots that I just feel like, ah, our neighbors, the time is short. The field where it really is, is white to harvest. And we're just, I mean, so would you pray for me? I mean that I'm, right now I'm asking you, pray for me, pray for Leslie as we try to be a, a light, a witness, a force to the street around us that is very dark. And you let me know, and I'll be praying for you as well. Pray about this. Number two, show it before you say it. It's going to be upside down for some of you, and some of you who have been Bible thumpers for a long time and think it's all about the field or whatever stuff, probably just lost you. But if you listen to me, I'm telling you, there's even scriptural basis. Show it first. Some of us want to carry our big old Bible and try to tell everybody, this is it, this is truth, this is what, and you're more of a bald tire danger to everybody around you than you even realize. You don't have an ounce of an expression of grace in your life. You're all about truth. You don't have an ounce of expression of love. You're all about where they're wrong and, and burning bridges and show it before you say it. Biblical basis, James 2. It's not on the screen. James 2.18. There's an argument happening in the church and James clears it up and says, you show me your, your faith without your works. Fine. Here's what he says in verse 10. I will show you my faith by my works, by my deeds. What did Jesus say? I forget. Yeah, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine. Let your works, your heart posture, show it. Let your light so shine that they will see your good words. They will see your good works. I'm not letting you off the hook on verbalizing the faith, but I'm saying a good starting point, show that your life has been changed by Jesus before you try to tell other people how to find the Jesus that you're not demonstrating. Ouch. Ouch me. We do that all the time. Show that your life has been changed by Jesus and you probably won't have to use a whole lot of words to get the conversation going. The world's just looking for that. What a void of it right now. I got a friend, uh, Joel Hunter, he's a senior pastor. He was lead pastor when I was in Orlando and I was leading multi-site for their church and he said he retired from ministry after about 36 years of being the pastor there. And this was the phrase that stuck with me. He says, I have moved he was just tired of all the argument in the church at different times and all the debate about how to make prettier fences and how many fence posts you need and how many, I don't care about all that. He said, this is his direct quote, I've moved from arguing my best interpretation of what the Bible says to living out my best imitation of how Jesus lived. Woo! All I needed to say was that this morning probably. Can I repeat that for you? Because there's a lot of people who just want to keep arguing the nuance of the debate. And there's a lot of things we can argue about. And boy, do we. What we can't argue about is the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus and what it means to imitate that. I've moved from arguing my best interpretation of what the Bible says to living out my best imitation of how Jesus lived. I want to join Joel in that. I want to debate nuance and sliver words and whatever. I mean, I'm going to keep teaching and preaching because we do this. We come in in warm seats and, and warm community and share life together because it's, we need to be equipped. We need to be challenged. We need to be unified around this mission. But I don't want our lives to be just all about getting it here. I want, to be it, I want it to be about getting it there. That's what we need to be as a church. 
Okay, a couple more things and I'm done. Sometimes it's okay to let it come to you. It will. Sometimes it's okay to let it come to you. It will. This is kind of a generational thing, I think, right now as well. When I grew up as a kid, we would go door to door, put my little skinny tie on with my mom and dad, little jacket on, Bible in hand, a handful of tracks, and just, hey, do you, if you die tonight, we're, hey, if that's what you do, keep doing it, that's fine. But for the rest of us, relationship drives it, and sometimes it's okay to let it come to you. And here's the, here's the secret. If you're paying attention, it will I don't have to initiate spiritual conversations with my neighbors. They just happen. I'm not kidding. I've got one neighbor next door. I dearly love these people. Their son committed suicide about 14 years ago. You can imagine where the conversations go on that. I've got neighbors that are about four doors down this way. He's the one that every once in a while will say, how's the God business going? I don't offer it. He just asks. He has asked me so many questions about where we stand, about what I think about the Bible, about, hey, when I was a kid, I went to a Lutheran church, loathed it. I'm, well, why? And, and just talking about what he experienced, just sometimes it's okay to let it come to you. It will. People everywhere are aching for hope and answers. Don't miss it when it's there. It'll come to you. Pay attention. Another way to say it is this. Let your spiritual conversations just become more natural. Don't go Bible thumping people. Don't go be trying to point to them where they're wrong. Just let spiritual conversations become more natural in your life. Let natural conversations become more spiritual. Say that one more time. Let spiritual conversations just become more natural. Don't force fit it. But let your natural conversations, oh, your son died of suicide. I'm so sorry. What was the story? Get into that, but then get, let it become spiritual. I've heard you guys talk about your background a little bit. I think you were involved in the Catholic Church at some time. What? You, have, you wouldn't just believe where that peels back on lives. Your stories around you are different, but they're looking for the same hope that is within you. A couple more things real fast. Look for the person of peace. Not a lot of time to unpack this. Um, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the people. Remember I mentioned 72 of them. And what he gives in the instruction is look for people who are welcoming. If there is a person with peace among them, Stay with them, just because it might be that the spirit is leading the way. So look, it just, I'm in your, don't try to force the guy next door that you know is just Satan worshiping next door. He's sacrificing goats every Saturday night. You know, he's got, I was gonna come up with some other examples, but they're probably wrong and that was enough. But don't try to make, well, that's my target. That's where I'm going. Don't start there. Because you will feel like, God, does, it just doesn't work. Don't do that, right? Look for the person of peace. And here's the thing. Look, I'm gonna give you a verse. Acts 16, 14. This is Paul talking about what happened with Lydia as her name. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The person of peace is this. God might already, his spirit might have already gone before you. And there's people around you who are soft, tender. The conversations, the relationship is formed. Just lean into that. Just see the dress. Like, man, you've, you've gone before. There's something in there. There's a welcoming spirit. They might be open to this hope that I have within me. Two more things. Be ready. Just be ready for it because it's coming. Here's my, my prediction. Uh, number one, don't go buy a lottery ticket because I don't have those kind of numbers for you. But number two, I can almost predict and promise you're going to win this week at this one. You're going to have an opportunity this week. I can, I can basically, I don't make guarantees. I can guarantee you, if you will, in this service right now, pray for opportunity this week and look for opportunity this week, you will absolutely have opportunity this week. Be ready. Just kind of think ahead. You're praying for it, as we said. You're kind of looking for those persons of peace. You're just letting it come. Be ready. First Peter chapter three, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. People will ask you about your faith. Pray about it. Look for the person of peace. Let it come to you. Let your natural conversations be more spiritual. Watch for it. You're going to see opportunities. And it's not always going to be comfortable, but they'll come. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. And oh, by the way, please do this with gentleness and respect. This is not Bible thumping over the head 101. This is the way of Jesus 101. Do this with gentleness and respect, with grace and truth, the way Jesus did. Last one, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. There's almost a full eight out of 10 people around us that tell us if my friend was really serious about their faith, I wouldn't have a problem with them talking to me about it. That is mind-boggling to me. In an era where no matter who you are as president, you can't get more than about 45% approval. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, right? We've got 80% approval on being able to talk about the hope that's within us. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit on this. Get to where you are praying. By the way, the purpose of prayer, like when I said to start with prayer, the purpose of prayer isn't always to get God to go ahead and do it for you. The purpose of prayer often is what the prayer does to you. You start praying for opportunities and all of a sudden you're going to be thinking about your neighbors, your classmates, your teammates, the bully at school, the teacher you can't stand, the guy down the hall or the woman down the hall that drives you nuts. Start praying about that and you're going to be surprised what it does to your own heart before you even have any interaction or words. Just don't quit. What if? What if God... What if God invited you to be a force in such a way that sometime this week or this month or 2022, just kind of just don't quit. He gives you the opportunity to help somebody new experience what freedom and life and joy centered on Jesus looks like. What if? Don't quit. Don't you rob yourself of that. Don't rob them of that. Don't quit. We've got our marching orders. We know what we're supposed to do. Be faithful to it. Don't quit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for not walking away from your mission. Thank you for coming here to pay the price so that we could know life and joy and freedom that can be found in you. Help us to be, oh, not a field. We all drift that way. We all drift that way. But you've called us to be a force that reaches the field. Help us to be that kind of an expression of the church. We do this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.